Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The message. This phrase, Gospel of Christ, shows up 11 times. And three of those times is in the book of Romans. The phrase gospel of Christ shows up five times in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then Galatians, Philippians, and 1st Thessalonians, it's one time each in those epistles. That's 11 total times that phrase gospel Christ. Uh, we know that the gospel is all about Christ, is all about his work on the cross. We know Colossians 3.11, Christ is all. And in all, one of my favorite verses. In the Bible. But I want to pose this question to you and try to get some answers. If the gospel is all about Christ, and by the way, it is, why does Paul, now keep in mind, Paul, the Holy Spirit's the author, but Paul's name is behind half of the books written in the New Testament. And Paul says, If Jesus says, follow me, why does Paul also say, follow me? In other words, if the gospel is all about Christ, why is Paul used in such a mighty way throughout the New Testament scriptures? And I want to unpack that thought a little bit, because in Paul, we really do have two completely radical opposites. On one hand, you have a persecutor of Christians who wrecked havoc in the church, an awful sinner. That's one radical extreme of Paul, contrasted to the other side, which he's the greatest missionary that's ever lived. So you have both of those in Paul. We have the best of men, and we have the worst of men. Why? How can he be the best of men? It's because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel of Christ. And a lot of what is seen in Paul, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see in us. The worst of men, but we could be the best of men. The worst of women, but we could be the best of women. Why? All because of the gospel. No less than 10 times, I said this earlier, Jesus said in the gospel accounts to follow me. And many of us would say, who should we follow? We all say, well, we all need to follow Christ. We all need to follow Jesus. But in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Well, wait a minute. I suppose I thought Jesus said, Follow me. So we have both those thoughts put forth by Jesus, and then we have it put forth through Paul. Now he qualifies it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where he says, Be ye followers of me. And then the qualifier comes, even as I also am of. Christ. So if we have two extremes of Paul, we're not following the sinner who was wrecking havoc on the church. We're following Paul who is following Christ. So really to answer the question, should we follow Paul? Should we follow a preacher? Should we follow a neighbor who's a Christian? Or, Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, if they're following Christ. No, if They're following after the devil in the world for their own fleshly lust. So the qualifier is there. 
Ultimately, we are all following Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ did give us people down here to follow. And the exclusion is make sure they're following Christ. And we see that illustrated in Paul's life. All right, so Philippians 3, look at verse number 17. Watch what he said. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And we see a contrast here in verse 17 and 18. There's following Paul, and the Bible gives us that there's other Christians that God puts in our life to be examples. We need to follow that example. But he also is warning those that are following him and say, hey, look, I mean, he's coming to him weeping. There are, you have to know this. There are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, and we do need to be aware of that. We have to be careful who we follow. Philippians 4. Watch what it says in verse 6. We open this up on Sunday afternoon. It says, be careful for nothing. And we talked about how many people live their life. They're just full of anxiety. Everything is just self-consuming. It's just from the inside out, they just self-destruct with anxiety. And we talked about this verse doesn't mean, hey, throw your brain out and don't be prepared and don't plan and don't be concerned about situations. Um, because we are called to do that as well. We have to provide, we have to protect, we have to watch after the flock. That's one of the shepherding aspects of being a pastor. And you can either allow that to just completely overwhelm and consume you with anxiety, or you can put it in the proper place and just ask the Lord to help you so that you protect properly. But he says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be, be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, before we move on, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We've talked about this at different times. I don't really, I really don't watch the news. I might see a, a, a thing come up or I might get a text from somebody. Hey, check this out. And I try to keep myself up to date. And a lot of the news that I get is from other people because I really think that this verse, I, I don't want to always be thinking about, I know the world's I know that the government's going to do something crooked. I know that Hollywood and, you know, the secular music industry and the governmental schools, I know they're going to come out with something horrible and wicked tomorrow and next week, and next month. I know that. And I'm sure you do as well. I don't want to keep thinking on those things. I know it's there. And I want to protect myself from it, my kids from it, my church from it. But I want to think on some things that are pure. I want my mind filled with things that are honest. I want to be around honest things. These things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen, where does he say? In me. 
So Paul is saying, look, here's why you can follow me. You can look at my life and you can see in me those things. And the God of peace shall be with you. When someone looks in your life, do they see those things? That's what Paul's talking about. We ought to be able to look at each other as an example to encourage, to correct, to rejoice with, to weep with. We ought to be able to have each other as examples. That's why God gave Paul, gave the church Paul as an example. Yes, the gospel is all about Christ. But the gospel is realized in a magnificent way in Paul's life. And God is pleased when a mere man, a sinful man, not deserving of anything. God is pleased when his image is expressed through Paul's life. Look, I know we're sinners saved by grace. But God has given us a commission, and just like Paul, just like God is pleased when Christ's image is revealed through the life of Paul, the same thing God is pleased through our life as we live in submission and obedience to Christ and the proclamation of his gospel. He gave the church, what, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and we, we all of us, regardless of our spiritual gift, has been given the command to preach the gospel. So why not just look at Christ's life? Why do we have Paul's life to look at? When we said earlier, let's draw out the contrast again. Christ never sinned. Paul did sin. Christ never did anything that would dishonor God the Father. We've done many things that would dishonor God the Father. So Paul is pictured as a sinner who is completely and radically changed by the gospel of Christ. And it's one thing to say, yeah, well, Jesus Christ, yeah, he's sinless. He's perfect. He died for our sins. We'll just follow him. That's one thing because we can trust it because he's never sinned. It's a completely other thing to say a mere man has been so radically changed by the gospel of Christ that we can look and follow. It's a sinner that can be transformed. That's the power of the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, he felt the turn there, but he says, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. He goes on to say to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. We typically are concerned about our life and our body and our needs. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. But if it comes to a level that's above that's counting ourselves above the gospel of Christ, then that's a problem. And I believe Paul has that under control. I believe he's got that as, a, as an excellent example. He says that I might finish my course with joy. 
all that Paul went through in his life. And he's saying, I'm going to finish my course with joy. I can understand if he said, look, I'm just going to finish my course. Man, I'm just worn out. I'm just sick of it. But he says that I might finish my course with joy. Why? To testify the gospel. Because his life has been so radically changed. In Romans 1, you don't have to turn there, but Paul, it talks about he's a servant of Christ. He's separated under the gospel of God. He says he serves with the spirit. He says he's ready to preach the gospel. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel. In Romans, it goes on in the 15th chapter. He says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ. He talks about ministering the gospel of God. He says, I make glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. His mind's fixed on the right thing. He says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He says, I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Really, we don't need, we don't need more church buildings. We need more people in church buildings going out and preaching the gospel. You know, you can look at the population of a town and you can run some stats and figure out how many independent Baptist churches you need. You got 30,000 people in a town, probably three is enough. You don't need 10. <laughs> now, if you're in Nashville, that's a different story. It's, it's, you know, I've talked to preachers that have been in the game a lot longer than I have been. And there's some recurring things, themes come up. One is that are people coming to church because they were upset at the preacher at the last church? And then when they get upset, something here, they go to the next church. The next thing you know, they've been to all the churches in town. Is there a right way to leave a church? Yes. Is there a reason to leave a church? There certainly are. But we will get out of church if we don't have our heart striving for the gospel and for the right reason. Paul had the heart. He had the heart part right. And I believe we should as well. We're not trying to build on someone else's foundation. It's interesting that Paul says that because one of the greatest missionaries, you think about being Paul, he probably could have just went anywhere and drew a crowd. That's not his heart, though. His heart was, he's thinking about the other guy. You know what? There's another man there doing a work. Let's go where Christ has not yet been named. Oh, to be a Paul. We don't want to build on someone else's work. If we meet somebody out at the one of the festivals this Saturday and we talk to them and they get saved and they decide they're going to go to a, a different church on Sunday, well, praise God. <laughs> they trusted Christ. We'll see him in heaven. And if the Lord didn't orchestrate it for them to visit us, let's just rejoice that they trusted Christ. No reason to, no reason to um, build on another man's work that, if that's where God would have them go. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians. You see something in this chapter, <clears throat> First Corinthians one, and in verse number seventeen, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You see that contrast between baptism and the gospel, because baptism isn't the gospel. Baptism is something that you do after you believe the gospel. 
when it's not the gospel. And Paul says, look, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He didn't preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. In the second chapter, look at verse number two. He says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not one of these guys where, you know, you come to church and all you have, and all you can do is talk about the Bible. But I am one of the guys that would say, if we're talking about everything else but the Bible, that's going to be all balanced too. You know, the ladies talk about recipes and they talk about, you know, they're, you know, what they're doing in gardening and the men talk about farming and what they're doing for, you know, hobbies and all that. That's called fellowship. Praise the Lord. It's good to have good Christian friends. But there's something to this verse that if I want to know anything, all I want to know is Jesus Christ in person. If there's anything I want you to know is that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. If I could know anything, that would be it. That's the idea. It's not that we can just talk about the Bible. It's that if we could choose one thing to talk about, it would be that. It would be that. And that really does save a lot of heartache. And I really believe that the more that we have our hearts connected to the gospel, the more our hearts are knit together in love. Because we are striving together for one common ground. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And I know, I know, I can get bitter about it, but I pray the Lord would help me. Because I don't want to grow old with it. But I can get bitter about the fact that Man, all these, you know, mega music churches have all these people and, and all this. Or I can just be content with what the Lord has provided us and be thankful that we have a small little flock where we can do a mighty work for God and just preach the gospel and let God work out the details. And I just want to know him. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Go to the ninth chapter. Get back to First Corinthians Get back on course here with the next verse, number 18. Paul says, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, what is my reward then? In chapter 9, verse 18. Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. What is that? That's a hard attitude that has it right. He's not looking to abuse. He's looking to preach. He goes on to say, this I do for the gospel's sake. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's one of the greatest passages you can go to to show someone what the gospel is. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Paul says, which I preached unto you which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. It's a saving gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he's buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He's preaching it. He's preaching it as a saving gospel, and he's making no bones about it. 
go over to 2 Corinthians. Paul's life is magnified through the gospel of Christ. That's what I'm trying to draw out tonight as the, as the big takeaway. In 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse number 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also, here it is again, in preaching the gospel of Christ. And then it's tied together with the thought in verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure. That is, of other men's labor, but having hope. When your faith is increased, we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we're going to tie in with this thought. But you know what that is? That really is the example of charity. I mean, he's not just preaching the gospel. He's thinking of other men's work and other people's labor. We can't forget that. Go over to the 11th chapter and find verse 7. He says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself? Ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. In Galatians chapter 1, turn there. Look at another one. Look at verse number 8. Because the tune has changed here. Paul now takes a very staunch stance on this. And he says, but though we, when when he says we, he's including himself. You know, you're preaching here. You say, look, church, we need to. The preacher's including himself. Paul's saying, me too. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul is not trying to be nasty. He's trying to be truthful and biblical. And he puts himself in the same category. He said, look, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You know what he says here? If I come preaching water baptism for salvation, you got to do the same thing with me that you're doing with the other guy. you got to call it what it is. It's a curse. It's not right. And it doesn't mean you're being mean and nasty to people. It means you're trying to point them the truth. And Paul's very adamant about that. And he makes no bones about it. In Galatians 2, watch what he says. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Man, the Galatians, that's great. Saved by grace. Look, don't don't backtrack. Don't go back into... Letting those Judaizers confuse you. I believe we can take a lot of truth from Paul's example. 
his heart was for the gospel. He warned against another gospel. But then the next chapter, he says, you better continue in it. Don't stop preaching it. You're trying to fish for messages to preach or, you know, you get called to teach on a Sunday school or, you know, someone, you, you, you know, you, you meet somebody new and you don't know how to start the conversation. Just double down on the gospel, trying to figure out how to get there. <laughs> Look, there's no hard and fast rule. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll give you something. He'll give you something. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but the Philippians, he says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. He's ready to defend it. And I want to follow that example. I believe we are here. That's what we, that's what our, the heartbeat of this pulpit, the heartbeat of this church is the gospel. We're going to defend it no matter what. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. He says in 2 Timothy, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. He says, look, don't you feel sorry for me that I've been in prison? It's for the gospel. Which I do things different for the, for the, uh, you know, the Gay Pride Festival this year for a little more protection. But look, don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me that they're, you know, uh, that, that whole crowd is, you know, poking at me and putting you know, little silly stickers on me and making cursing at me. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't. For the gospel. Praise God, the gospel's going out. And there's going to be contention. There's going to be times where you can be ashamed for testimony of the Lord. God help us. He goes on to say, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know, don't, don't sign up. For affliction. But I'm telling you, you stay steadfast in the gospel, Satan ain't gonna be happy. So he's gonna figure out a way to try to throw a monkey wrench in that game and mess it up. We had, I don't think there's so much a big deal anymore, but we had the uh, the WWJD bracelets came out when we were, oh, probably. It must be 20. 30 years you get that bracelet what would Jesus do it's a good bracelet except half the people that were wearing really weren't doing what Jesus was doing <laughs> it might be better to say hey what did Jesus do and let's let's go ahead and do that that's not Paul Paul's not a WWJD bracelet wearing Christian. No, Paul is out there actually doing the work. And he's a great example. He's just not claiming to be a Christian. He's living his life for Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and for the brethren. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We all heard that. He's got Paul. He's not just wearing the shirt. He's not just wearing the bracelet. He's walking a life that's been transform. How does he do that? He steps out in faith. How do we do the same thing? I step out. All right, let's go to first Thessalonians to show chapter three. <clears throat> Verse number twelve. 
Bible says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Why do we need the Lord? Because we will not increase it. We will decrease it. Paul got a hold of it. And then he says, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Why does Paul love all men? It can only be, we laid all the groundwork because of the gospel of Christ. That is the only way we can love all men. That's it. It's because of the gospel. He says, I am made all things to all men. That's what Paul is inspired to write. That I might by all means save some. He wants to be all things to all men that, and by all means to, to save some. All of that is because of the gospel. Paul is motivated. And the whole conference we did on charity kind of springboarded this message. Paul is motivated by charity. He's motivated by love. That's the essence of the gospel. Go to 1 Corinthians 13 and we'll, and we'll finish out there. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Uh, Pastor Crotz, he read this and he wasn't changing the Bible. He was bringing out the magnitude of the word. And he read this chapter and every time the word charity showed up, he replaced it with the name of Jesus Christ. And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I have not charity. In other words, I have not Christ. All I am is a sounding brass. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. In other words, I have not Christ. I am nothing. The essence of the gospel is God's love for man. And we have a system of theology that would elevate God's sovereignty. Yes, God is sovereign. I know it's not a Bible word, but Bible isn't in the Bible either. We understand the scriptures. Sovereignty of God, I understand God is sovereign. We're not saying he's not. But if we magnify that above and at the expense of charity, we have missed the essence of the gospel. The only way Paul would bring it to all men is because of charity. Not because of all knowledge, but because of charity. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Paul, get, Paul was stoned. Paul was in prison. Paul was beaten. But it means nothing. If he doesn't have charity. And the essence of the gospel is God's love for man. All men. Everywhere. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaulteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Just replace charity with Christ's name. He's the essence of charity. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You ask someone, why do some people go to hell? And when the answer is, well, God is just sovereign in everything that he does, 
is sovereign and let's praise him for it. Look, there's some truth in that, but God is not rejoicing that those wicked people are being sent to hell. That is not his will. He loves them and he wills for them to be saved. Paul is the example of the gospel. Christ is sinless. Paul is a transformed man and he is loving sinners, all sinners, just like Christ loved all sinners. Paul's not looking over a group and say, well, look, I guess you're just God's sovereign. He'll just do what he wants with you. Charity is above all knowledge. It's the essence of the gospel, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Knowledge. Knowing is dangerous. I'd rather have a guy that's full of charity than full of knowledge. Because I know if he's full of charity, eventually more knowledge will come and not pop up. But you get a guy that's full of knowledge with no charity, it typically doesn't work. And I'm thinking back in my mind of some men, some friends who just got puffed up and it was all knowledge and turned into a mess because the essence of the gospel isn't knowledge. The essence of the gospel is God's love for man and charity. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now by the faithful of charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest is Jesus Christ. Pastor Crops also brought out, he closed out the conference magnificent with a magnificent sermon about exactly where this chapter is placed in the Bible and how none of us would have even thought to have put a chapter about charity in the midst of this awful church with so many problems. No preacher wants to be the pastor of the First Corinthians church. No, no preacher would sign up for that. Yet God put the chapter Put that chapter right in the midst of this church. I thought it was a, a beautiful thought. It's in the middle of sin, that's where charity comes in. In the middle of trial and contention, that's where charity comes in. In a sin-cursed world, that's where charity is given. And that's exactly where it never fails. The key emphasis on the gospel should be on charity and God's love not on God's sovereignty. When wicked sinners are headed for hell, we don't just say, well, God is sovereign. He'll do as he will. No. Paul looks at charity. 
And he says, that never fails. We need to look. Is God sovereign? He is. But is God all love? He is too. We keep, we throw out a sovereign card. By default, we tend to distance ourselves. That wall of distance comes up. Well, we're selected, we're elected. They're not selected and elected. And when you start throwing that term up and you start throwing that sovereign card, by default, we start to build this wall of separation. Charity doesn't do that. Charity is above all the knowledge. Our heart's desire should be charity, not sovereign. And above all else, above all else, our knowledge must be brought under charity. And our emphasis must always be, I know. I know that the modern church has completely redefined God's love. And I know that you've got too many men and too many churches and preachers have so overcorrected that they have ended up in a ditch on the other side. And they have forgotten about charity never just because someone defines it wrong and messes it up, God is love, 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 without his wrath and all that. I get it. But 1 Corinthians 13, that's the essence. That's the essence of the gospel. Charity, love, brothers. God love. We as sinners. God is pleased when we as sinners now start to show the image of Christ by our love for others and our willingness to break down those walls and say, you know what? I am willing. I am willing to bring the gospel to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.com. Church.